Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Look, there was a great earthquake, for an angel from the Lord came down from heaven. Coming to the stone, he rolled it away and sat on it. Now his face was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here because he's been raised from the dead, just as he said. Come, see the place where they laid him. Now hurry, go and tell his disciples. He's been raised from the dead. He's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given the message to you. With great fear and excitement, they hurried away from the tomb and ran to tell his disciples. But Jesus met them and greeted them. They came and grabbed his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that I am going into Galilee. They will see me there. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's stand. Would you all pray with me? Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer, so that whether it's because of me or even in spite of me, it would still be your word that is faithfully proclaimed and your name that is glorified. Amen. So from the time I was like 15 years old on until really pretty recently, I waited tables. And when I turned 18, and it was legal for me to, I started bartending. And then when I moved down to Georgia, you had to be 21 to bartend. So I started over again at 21. And through all of grad school, seminary, I bartended. First, over here at Feast, which was a restaurant that existed in Decatur. Any long-time Decatur folks remember Feast? It was great. You missed out. It was awesome. But I bartended over at Feet for several years and then moved over to Murphy's in Virginia Highlands, which, yeah, see, y'all know Murphy's. Y'all missed out on Feast. It was great and less expensive and an even better brunch, but it was wonderful. Um, <laughs> but I bartended at Feast for the longest time before moving over to Murphy's. And I'll be honest with y'all, um, people get super honest on a bar which made for some of the best conversations that I've ever had about the Bible, about God, about spiritual life. Because what often happens to me now when I tell people what I do for work, people either like super stop talking <laughs> or they start just like pouring out every detail of life and there is no in-between. So when I was bartending, People were like really honest and I really appreciated that 
because it led to some really important and good conversations. One of them that was a four-year-long conversation was one that I had with actually a bartender friend of mine named Mark, who's a local artist, who's an incredible guy. But when he started getting to know me and he asked what I was in school for, and I was honest about where I was and said I was going to seminary, he stopped in his tracks and looked at me and said, have you ever read your Bible? (laughs) Because what Mark had done, he had come from a Christian family and He had been a part of a church growing up, but he decided in his young adult life to read the Bible on his own as what he thought would be a practice of of faith for him to grow deeper in his relationship with God. And what actually happened was he got past the first couple of pages and saw a bunch of really messed up stuff happening. Has any of y'all read our Bible? There's some pretty messed up stuff in there. And so rather than growing closer to God, as he read the Bible, he found himself growing further away from God. And then starting to wonder whether or not he'd be even be willing to follow this God. And so reading the Bible led him away from his faith. So we had conversations about that. And then he said, um, have you ever looked at the history of the world over the last 2,000 years? Have you seen what the church has done to people and communities? And he started asking really hard questions. Maybe even while I'm talking about it, like, how would you answer it? How can you commit yourself to this movement that has been the cause of genocides, has validated slavery, has continued to subjugate women and people of color? How can you be a part of this? This is what happens on a bar. (laughs) These are the kinds of questions I know some of y'all already are holding on to, but would never dream of talking to the pastor about it. Because what are you going to get from the pastor? Stop asking questions. (laughs) And y'all, I've talked to so many people in this room, even, who they did not come back to church for a long time. Because when they started asking questions as a teenager, as a young adult, their pastor said, stop. Just believe. Leave your intellect behind. This isn't a place for that. And so Mark would come to me with these questions because of his own experience of loss of faith, because of how hard and messed up the church and our book is. Amen. (laughs) but this is this is what happens when we prioritize the the words on a page 
over and above the wisdom of the word of God. When we misplace the word of God with the word of God, we start getting it all wrong. The Gospel of John, y'all know how it starts. In the beginning was the word. Was that the Bible at the beginning of time? No. You can say that. That's okay. (laughs) It wasn't the Bible at the beginning of time. It was what? It was Christ breathing new life into a world that was nothing but chaos. In the beginning was the word. Not this word, the word. And as time's gone on, if we've put our wisdom to paper, we've started to misplace where the wisdom of God comes from. And it's not from a page. It's from the simple, creative, redemptive, transformative presence of God that goes through these pages to transform everything about our world. The the Bible is still important. We see a picture of what Our ancestors have believed about God and experienced of God for generations. It's an important and essential book for us to understand who we are, where we've come from, and how God has been present. But when we misplace the word of God with the words on a page, we've messed up. And we can see it happen. I'm going to read just the, the bookends to what Dan just read for us. At the end of Matthew 27, the next day, which was the day after Preparation Day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Those are the pastors, the religious leadership of, of the time. They said, sir, we remember that... While that deceiver, Jesus, was still alive, he said, After three days I will arise. Therefore, order the grave to be sealed. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. And so Pilate replied, You have soldiers for guard duty. Go and make it as secure as you know how. Then they went and secured the tomb by sealing the stone and posting the guard. There's a weird tension to my job, and it's the reason that I think it's hard to be honest when you're talking to a person in religious authority. I want to just name that. Because what has often happened is that because of the real and perceived authority of spaces like this. Religious folks who've grown comfortable with one version of truth, one experience of God, one understanding of who God is, rather than learning how to use that to see a bigger picture, will often use that to create new barriers and boundaries around what might God do in the future. So the religious leaders in the first century heard that a resurrection might be imminent. 
And rather than waiting with anticipation for some miracle to work or for God to do something that they had never seen before, they created a new barrier, working with the political authority of the, of the day to restrict the movement of God. You see how easy that is. This is why my friend Mark could be like, do you know your history? It's messed up. And so the resurrection story happens. And what's really beautiful about the resurrection story, at least as it's told in Matthew, is the way that all of the norms of society are flipped on their heads. The women go to the tomb anticipating to find Jesus dead there. Now, women, of course, in the first century were marginalized. They were property of the men who either were the father to them or the men who had married them. So the, not the center of the political or religious world. They were on the outskirts of it. But these two women come to the garden to see the tomb. And what happens when they get there is they witness and experience an earthquake. They see an angel of the Lord come down. And the guards themselves, the representatives of all things powerful, both of Rome and of the religious authority, collapse as though dead. And the angel says that Jesus is walking along the way that they'll meet him in Jerusalem. And in fact, they meet him even before they get there and cling to his feet. Unless you spend a lot of time reading this passage and thinking about what's happening and understanding the context of Matthew, it just looks like a simple story about women going to the tomb and finding it empty, but it's, it's a flipping of the world. The whole world is flipping on its head. Who holds authority in this moment but the one who was dead? And what about the people who, who held the legitimate authority of the politics and the, and the religious leadership of the time? They appear as dead. Who proclaims the good news of resurrection? Not the people at the center of power, but the women on the outskirts of it. Everything is changed because of the resurrection. The word of God, the presence of Christ, stands as the wisdom above the words of God. Helping to give us better perspective, helping us to see that God moves in new ways and operates outside of our structures, operates outside of our norms, invites us to something new and bold and different. But you have to read it that way. And then what happens at the end, after, after what Dan read? Starting at verse 11 in chapter 28. Now, as the women were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. Want to guess whether or not they were excited about that resurrection? They met with the elders, the rest of the leadership, maybe like the church council of the day, the other elders, and decided to give a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they told them, Say that Jesus' disciples came at night and stole his body while you were sleeping. And if the governor hears about this, we will take care of it with him, so you will have nothing to worry about. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were told. And this report has spread throughout all Judea to this very day. Have you ever read your Bible? 
Do you know your history? All the barriers to our faith exist here. We can see it plainly. The dispute between the presence of God and anyone who holds power and authority, anybody who claims to have full understanding of who God is, what God is willing in the world, is drawing a new line that God never drew to create a distinction between who's in and who's out. But our gospel message is very simple. There is no barrier anymore. The norms of our society are flipped on their heads. Resurrection, a, a thing that is not physically possible, has happened. Everything that we once knew has to be thrown out because of this one simple moment. So I don't know what your life has looked like. I don't know many of y'all at all, and y'all don't know me. And I realize there's an irony in a religious authority person telling you what to think or what to believe or whatever. So take this all with a grain of salt. I trust that you will. But whoever you are, If you have looked through this book and found that the God described here is too difficult to believe in, if you have learned anything about modern history over the last 2,000 years and have found that the church is not something you want to be a part of, you're in good company. But it is not of God. The Word of God described in all four of the Gospels, is bringing a new reality into life, breaking all of the barriers that we put up between one another, eliminating all of the hierarchies that we try to place one another on, getting rid of all of the places of authority so that communities can thrive in abundance, trusting something other than me to tell any truth. Our God is with you. And we know this because of the simple truth of resurrection. It's a foolish belief. It's confusing to think about. It doesn't make sense. And yet somehow it is the fundamental truth that we hold on to. You are beloved of God called to greater purpose and a part of God's vision of bringing healing and hope and wonder into this world. And my prayer is simply that we can be honest with each other about our journey through it all. In the name of Christ, who is risen on this day. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.